Good morning. It is always a blessing for us to be together. Uh, I, I wanted to take just a moment to say a couple of things uh, before we, we get into the sermon. The first is how thankful I am for uh, the missionary families that we partner with as a church family. I was reminded of that this morning as we were blessed to hear from the Steen Camps. And, and I was also thankful for the hard work that Stephen Corbett does to help us be able to take communion together half a world away. Uh, that, that is a blessing to be able to not only hear their voices and, and to think about them, but to, to feel in a very real sense the connection that Christ makes possible, regardless of the distance that might separate us physically. And I want to take a moment uh, to, to encourage you, whether it's at the beginning of the sermon, you know, I'm giving you permission right now to ignore me uh, for the next few minutes. You'll notice on the insert that there's a way to contact the Steen Camps through different email addresses. And so whether that's right now or whether it's later today or in the next couple of days, I really want to encourage you to reach out to them and thank them for taking the time to, to lead our hearts and our souls uh, together in communion. I know if, if I were going to videotape something like that and then send it off and then I didn't hear anything, I would assume that I didn't do a very good job. And that, that says more about me than anything else. But uh, I, I don't want to put them in that position where they're wondering, was it a blessing for us to hear from them this morning? It, it absolutely was. And so take some time to reach out to them. Ask them how you can be praying specifically for them. Uh, take notice of, of when their birthdays and the, and the different things, and the, the important dates in their family are. We want to make sure that they know that they are on our hearts. And so I want to encourage you to, to do that. The other thing I want to highlight this morning is that we have, I think, over 50 people gone because they're together on a, a middle school retreat. And if you've got a, a phone with you, or if your spouse has a phone or whatever, and you can take a picture of this slide, I want to encourage you to do that. Because what I want us to do as a church family, starting now and into the, the week, is I want to I pray by name for each one of these students that were blessed to be on the middle school retreat for God to use what has happened and will continue to happen to them because they were able to be together and open their hearts up uh, to God's word and to God's will. You know, I know we say often, I'll pray, I'll pray about that, I'll pray for you, and then we get busy and we forget to do it. So I want to ask you to take a picture of this list of names. I think there's 36, 37 students there. And pray for them. Ask God to use what's been happening to help them be more like Jesus. I want us to find new ways to hold each other in our hearts before the Lord. And so I want, I want to encourage you to think about doing that. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for this time that we have to be together as your people. We thank you for the time that we've had as we've gathered together in song, as we feasted together around your table, uh, now as we open our hearts up to your word, God, we pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you would draw us closer to you and, and closer to the versions of ourselves you've always wanted us to be. We thank you so much for the ways you work in our lives, both in the ways that we, we see and we recognize and also in the ways that, that we don't see. God, we, we need to be people who are overcome with gratitude for who you are to us and who you help us be. God, we want to listen 
and we want to be transformed. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. What keeps you up at night? Not my favorite question. Lots of things keep me up at night. But before I get any farther, I, I want to just get a, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand here. It's not some deep confession or anything. First, I want to see a show of hands of those of you who fall asleep the second your head hits your pillow, for the most part. I hate you. No, I'm okay. There's two kinds of people in the world, right? I want to see a show of hands. It takes you a while to wind down and actually fall asleep. And you're starting to resent the person next to you who's already asleep. I know that's a really personal thing, right? The, the, the experience of when you get to the end of the day and you're, you're trying to think, okay, I, how many hours do I have before I have to hit the ground running again? And, and I know it's, it's not like a choice we make. It's just who we are. It's, it's how we're hardwired. And usually, you know, it, it's one of those things where you're, you're jealous that somebody else is able to do something. It's not, it's not a talent. It's just fortunate, right, that they're able to, to go to sleep, it seems like, all the time. But all of us, regardless if on most nights we find it either easy or difficult to fall asleep, all of us have some nights where we just can't manage to go to sleep. Sometimes it's because something amazing is, is getting closer and it's about to happen, and so we're excited and we're thinking about it. You know, that's when we end up telling our kids only two more sleeps until... And what you're saying there is, I know, it, I know you want it to be here, and I know as soon as you, you get in bed and it gets quiet, you start to think about all the things that you're excited to do. Just try to sleep, please, for our sake, try to sleep. But then there are other times when the reason we can't sleep is because we're filled with anxiety and worry. And all the, the stats, all of the research over the course of the, the pandemic has shown that before the pandemic, there were millions of Americans who found it really difficult to ever go to sleep easily because of their anxiety, and those, those numbers have only gotten worse. Because as much as I, I, I know we realize that there are things going on that we, we cannot control, right, that we don't have the ability to say, here's what the outcome is going to be, I think that the COVID pandemic put that front and center in our hearts and our minds for month after month after month. And you start to think, what can I get, depend on? What can I rely on? You know, and, and as we see a world around us that we can't control and at times seems like it's, it's spinning out of control, what kind of response should we have as people of faith? Now, I want to be clear here. I'm not equating having difficulty going to sleep or having anxiety with a lack of faith and trust in God because sometimes those things are related and other times they're not. And I don't want in any way to suggest to you that if you're struggling with a medical case of insomnia or anything like that, that I'm trying to make light of it or, or that I'm not aware of that. I am. But I want us to think about as people of faith, when we have those moments when we can't quiet our minds and we can't still our souls, what are our options? What, what choices do we have in front of us and what are, 
What are the things that we can hold on to when it feels like we can't hold on to anything else? That's part of why we're calling this series on the life of Joseph, What Keeps You Up at Night. Uh, Another big reason, and this is a lot less stressful, is just the fact that dreams play a big role in Joseph's life. And there are times when dreams keep us up. When dreams, things that we're, we're holding on to, hopes that we have, they just won't leave us alone. And in Joseph's case, God is alive and powerfully working through those dreams in his life and in the lives of the people around him. And so we're going to be learning more about those throughout this series. But I want us to start where it's always easiest to start, right? The beginning. So if you've got your Bible, open up to Genesis chapter 37. We'll start reading together in verse 2. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah, the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel, or Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made an ornate robe for him, When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and couldn't speak a kind word to him. Now, the word there for kind word is shalom, which is the Hebrew word for peace. So they couldn't speak peace to him. You been there? Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose up and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, because he's apparently not a quick learner. He had another dream (laughs) and told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. You're going to love this one. This time, the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. And when he told his father, as well as his brothers, because he wants everyone to know about this dream, his father rebuked him and said, what's wrong with you? No. What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the matter in mind. Okay, so now I'm going to tell you what takes place in the wake of all that for the rest of the chapter. Jacob ends up telling Joseph... Your brothers are out watching the the flocks and the herds, and I would like for you to go and speak peace to them. The reason I'm pointing that out is that gets lost in virtually every English translation. It, It ends up being kind words or greetings. But what's at stake here is that there is no peace in this family. Right? That they they belong to one another. 
but they don't know how to share life together. And so he sends Joseph to go speak peace to his brothers to check on them. And I think Jacob is hoping that maybe if they, they reunite away from him and away from maybe all the other people in the family and they're, they're able to be there together and if Joseph actually tries to meet his brothers halfway and speak peace to them even though they can't speak peace to him, maybe it'll work out. But it gets worse. Joseph can't find them right away because they've moved from where he thought they were going to be and now they're in a different place called Dothan and as he starts to come to meet them there, he's able to be seen from a long way off because apparently he had a certain way of moving through the world and his brothers noticed that And they had enough time to decide how they were going to receive him. So before he has a chance to try to speak peace to them, they hatch this this strategy uh, to kill him. They've had enough of him. And they've had enough of his dreams, and they don't want to hear it anymore. So the best way to silence him is to kill him. And they're out in the middle of nowhere, so they can kind of come up with a story, and they, they can say that, you know, he was, he was killed by an animal or something, that it wasn't their fault, and it, it'll all be over. But the oldest brother, Reuben, who I think at some level feels responsible because he's the oldest, but it's also important to know he, he, he may have a hard time with Joseph, but he doesn't want to end his life. So he says, look, let's not do that. I don't want to, I don't want to have to live with that guilt. You shouldn't want to have to live with his blood on your hands. Let's just Let's just put him down in a cistern, in a dry well, and leave him there. You know, let's not not lay hands on him. And the other brothers decide, yeah, well, Reuben, Reuben just doesn't understand. So they they wait for him to leave, and then they start talking again, and they think, well. I mean, maybe he's right. Maybe if we kill him, it's, it's going to complicate things. But we got to at least get something out of this because he is just, he's so, he has this coming. So Judah says, okay, well, I see some people coming towards us. They look like they're traders, merchants, something. I bet you we could make some good money off of selling him. How's that sound? And they all decide it sounds pretty good. So that's what they do. They... They sell him to some Ishmaelites, and Reuben comes back, and apparently he's not going to get a cut of the sale, by the way. He comes back, and he, he doesn't know what's happened, and he, he's overcome with fear of how Jacob's going to respond when he finds out, and they say, you know, we've we got to go through with this. And they, before they sold him, they, they took his special robe that Jacob had given him, the symbol of the fact that he was the favorite. And they tear it up and they dip it in, in animal's blood and then they bring it to Jacob and they tell him this, this story about Joseph being killed by a wild animal. And he believes them and he's heartbroken and they try to comfort him and he says, nobody can comfort me. I'm going to grieve from now until the day I die because of what happened to Joseph. Here's the 
here's the thing that you have to pick up on, and I think you have to read between the lines. It's not what Joseph, what he said. It's not really even the dreams that he had. It's how he must have talked when he shared those dreams. Right? It's how he must have handled himself. It's how he must have worn that robe. He, he just had this ability to get under his brother's skin, and he didn't care because he trusted that his father would protect him because he was his favorite. And, and all of us have had times in our lives when we've, we've had to be around people that we feel like are, are given special treatment and they don't deserve it. And it makes us, for whatever reason, feel worse about ourselves and angry. And and Genesis 37 is making it clear to all of us that it's one thing to deal with that out there somewhere, right? At school or at work or you have to be around somebody that you just don't, you you don't know how to connect with them. You don't know how to speak a kind word to them or, or speak peace into their life. It's one thing when it's out there, but what happens when it's in here? What happens when it's in your family, and you, you can't just ignore it. You can't just try to see that person less, but you, you have to look at them across the dinner table. You know, and Joseph just had, we don't have any of the details of how hard he was to be around other than the words he speaks, but it's obvious that he doesn't really care whether or not his brothers like him. All he cares about is how much his father loves him. And he's finding ways to, to rub that in, right? He's finding ways to show off. He's finding ways to make it even more difficult for his brothers to feel like they matter, to feel like they have the same kind of place in their family that he does. It's not what he says, it's how he says it. Now, another thing I want to point out to you is dreams are going to play a big role in Joseph's life especially his ability to interpret dreams when other people can't. And I am convinced that these dreams come from God. The storyteller in Genesis doesn't actually say that, that these two dreams came from God. It just says Joseph had dreams. The reason I'm convinced they come from God is because they're going to come true, but not in the way that Joseph thinks, which means while Joseph has the gift of interpreting dreams, he doesn't always use that gift. So when he has these two different dreams that basically seem to tell the same story, which is his brothers are going to someday bow down to him, and not just his brothers, but his His parents are going to bow down to him that he is the most important person in the family. That that the way he receives that dream into his life in his heart is what causes his brothers to want to take his life and stop his heart. Because those dreams could mean a lot of different things. But what it seems to me that Joseph is doing is he's dreaming of his own future power instead of his own role in making peace in the problems in his family that he has created, that he's a part of. 
There's no peace in that home. And if there's going to be peace in that home, he's going to have to be different than he's been. But because of who he is right now at the very beginning of the story, when he has this dream about, you know, the sheaves bowing down to him, and when he has the other dream about the sun, moon, and stars bowing down to him, he only has the the instinct to interpret it as God relating to him in the same unfair way that Jacob has been relating to him. So he doesn't, he, he, he dreams of, of dominating others rather than reconciling with others. This is what I'm trying to get us to wrestle with. These dreams that he has, they're like promises from God of how his future is going to take shape. But God is not going to to control Joseph in such a way where there's only one pathway for him to get there. He's got decisions to make about how to interpret the dream and then how to share the dream and how to try to live into the dream. And God is not going to do all of that for him. And for reasons we'll never fully understand, he's, he's just not shaped in a way in Genesis 37 to do anything with these dreams but be selfish with these dreams. To think that, man, I cannot wait until I'm in a position to be able to do not only what I want to do, but to have the power and the authority to make everyone else do exactly what I want them to do. And my concern is this, that Joseph is not the last child of God to make that kind of mistake when we think about the future. When we interpret descriptions of God's good future as promises to us that we will one day have the power to force everyone else to do what we want, we shouldn't be surprised when they beat us up and throw us in a well. Right? When things start to fall apart. We have all kinds of places in the Bible where we can, we can read about God's good future. A future that's not going to come true because of us. It's going to come true because of God. But we have to wrestle with what kind of role are we going to have in experiencing that dream, in sharing those dreams, in talking about that future. And if we're not careful, if what we start to do is we, we just... We're moving through the world in such a way where we're waiting for the moment. We're just building up resentment. We're, we're building up all these things we're going to do when we finally have the power to do whatever it is we want to do. If people start to get that sense from us, that that's how we're holding on to the promises of God, that we're holding on to the promises of God more as a weapon or more as a way to manipulate them or, or demand our own way, then we should not be surprised that what the world tries to do in response to that is take what power we already have away from us. Because they're afraid of what we're going to do if we have more. I think all of us, at one time or another in our lives, we have wrestled with looking at the powers that be and wondering why in the world does somebody with that kind of ability to shape things, why are they using their power that way? And then we think, well, if we get into those positions of power, 
it would, it would instantly be better, but it, it will only be better if when we get into positions of power and authority, we're trying to use that power and authority to help other people more than we're trying to help ourselves. We're trying to look out for other people more than we're trying to look out for number one. You know, Jesus talks about this when he says, those who are given a little authority and they steward it well, they do good things with it, they'll be given more. But those who abuse what little power, what little authority they have, what, why would I entrust you with more if you, if you can't be good stewards of what you have? You know, I look at our world, and one of the things that keeps me up at night are the people who are running things. I see what those people have done with the power they have now. And it seems to me that all they really want is more power. And because they haven't really thought about all the things they should do with that power, they primarily just end up defaulting to using that power for themselves. And I think we need to be people who can tell the truth, who can speak truth to power, but we've also got to wrestle with the fact that this isn't just some problem out there for other people, it's also an issue that you and I need to wrestle with because brothers and sisters, all of us, in some way or another, we have social power and influence. We do. And what are we doing with it? Are we looking out for other people with it? Are, are we trying to help them? Are we standing up for other people? Or are we primarily just getting ready, trying to get all the power together we can for that day when we're finally going to be able to make everybody do what we want, the way we want it, for the reasons we want it, and then we think the whole, the whole world will be in a better place because we're the ones in charge? These dreams of Joseph, they're going to come true. Here's the best thing about it. By the time they come true, he's going to be a different person. Which means he's still going to be in those positions of authority that he dreams about. But he's going to do world healing work with that power and that authority. This is an ancient story. But it is still a story that you and I find ourselves wrestling with here and now. God, I want you to hear this. God has chosen you for great things. Whether you fall asleep right when you, you hit the pillow or you, you wrestle to go to sleep or you can't even remember your dreams anymore or if you do remember your dreams, they don't make any sense at all. I don't, I don't, I don't care about any of that. I want you to hear this. This is a consistent message of scripture. God has chosen you for great things. But I also want you to hear this. Do not waste that promise trying to prove that you're better than anyone else. To yourself or to them, right? Don't waste it. We're not going to win people in the world by telling them we're God's favorite and they're not. That's what Joseph did. And at least at the end of verse thir uh, chapter 37, it doesn't work out too well for him at that point. Right? So don't waste that promise trying to prove that you're better than anyone else. Use that greatness to benefit everyone else. If we want to be a part of joining God in healing the broken places in our world, it's going to take us being in positions of power and influence. 
God wants us to be in places of power and influence. But God wants to make sure that by the time we get there, we have been shaped through our lives, through the ups and downs, through the struggles, through the, the times we've, we've stumbled and we've fallen and somebody else has cared enough about us to lift us up that when you and I, as representatives of God in a world that's tearing itself apart, that when we finally do get into positions of power and authority, we do redemptive, life-saving, world-saving work with it. I feel the same way. I, I, and I love that sound in church, by the way, so don't get out of here. What I'm trying to say is we may be in a position where we're striving after power that God isn't going to give us until we become more like his son. Because why would he? We can't be trusted with it. I can't be trusted with it. And as we find in the story of Joseph, it's a, it's a bumpy, rocky road to get to the place where when he becomes the one where these dreams are coming true, it's no longer a threat to anyone. It's a dream that comes true for everyone. That him being their leader is good news. It's a blessing when I'm telling you, at Genesis 37, if that 17-year-old had suddenly become who he's, if he had been just pushed right into the position and the power that he's going to have later, he would have blown the world up in a pretty robe. We need to not seek power as much as to become people God could entrust power to. That's who I want to be. That's who I want us to be. So that when we get into positions where we're, we're shaping things, we're influencing things, nobody feels left out. Nobody feels run over. Nobody feels like we're ruling or reigning over them to, to feel our own authority and power, but they feel welcomed and rescued and forgiven and redeemed. These dreams are going to come true, but in amazing ways that 17-year-old Joseph couldn't even understand if he tried. And we can, can have that same experience, brothers and sisters. We can, we can long and hope for the day when we're not just leaders, but we're leaders that remind people of Jesus. We're going to sing together now, and as we do, I want to encourage you to think about the places in your life where you already have positions of authority and influence and power, and I want you to give those aspects of your life to God this week and offer them to him and say, help, help me be better in these places and to these people. Show me how to steward the influence and the power you've already given me. Help me become someone who you could entrust even more power and influence to. Focus on that this week and see the ways that God is able to work in you and through you. Let's stand together now.